Welcome to PRISM, a podcast meant to inform and encourage church leaders. Here we'll cover every area of church life, from assimilation to personal care and everything in between. So regardless of the size, type, or location, PRISM will be a guiding light for brighter churches everywhere. And now here's your host, Neil Scoggins. Glad you guys can join us today. I have with me Derek Brown. Derek, how are you, man? Doing great, Neil. Thank you for having me. Good. I, thank you very much for just being here. So I, um, I've i always watched you and admired you. Uh, I watch how you work a room. I thought you were running for office one at some point because you're walking around shaking hands and kissing babies. And uh, I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like Derek. So he's a man. So Derek, tell me, so what's your, what's your official title and uh, what all do you do? Because I know you do a whole lot. Well, I work for Arkansas Baptist Children and Family Ministries. That is our new name. Uh, most people still know us as Arkansas Baptist Children's yeah. Homes and yeah. Family Ministries. Uh, I'm the executive director. I've been doing that since December of 2018. Okay, cool. So what does that mean? What's under that umbrella? Because that's a big, that's a whole bunch of stuff under that under that umbrella. Yeah, that's one reason why we changed the name a little bit to make it more clear that there are several things that we do. Uh, we do foster care, counseling, family advocacy, adoption. And we're moving into trauma-informed preschool. Okay. So we're moving into what now? Trauma-informed preschool. What is that? So if you think there's typical preschool and daycare and then there's developmental preschools, this kind of fills a gap between those two things, focusing not on necessarily developmental issues but on traumatic experiences and being uh, what we'd consider trauma resilient in okay. uh, in our practices. Man, that's kind of so. You guys do do everything. You're like a one stop shop when you come hang out with you guys. What we try to do is come alongside churches and really bring a, a more technical uh, aspect of ministry that churches want to provide but don't necessarily have the resources. We bring in those who are equipped yeah. to do something a little more specialized care for orphans and widows and those with difficulties. Yeah, that's cool. And that's why I have you here today because I know doing ministry just as a whole, so I pastored for a while, I've been on staff at a couple of churches. Uh, volunteered for X amount of years. I know one of the things that um, they used to push with us a lot is taking a Sabbath and taking time and all of that. Uh, I had a pastor that used to make us run. Uh, like, you know, we didn't run the whole two miles, but, you know, we would run with him. He was a former athlete, so it was a little different. So we would run, we work out, and bring in a whole lot of stuff. But one of the things that we never did talk about was – uh, our emotional health, our mental health. I know there's a book by, um, oh, what's his name? Pat Lencioni, Spiritually Healthy, something healthy mentality. I don't know. I'll get it and we'll put it in the show notes. But it talks about being healthy mentally and spiritually. Uh, so I know that you talk a lot about, I know living, we're going to talk a little bit about living well and uh, what living well actually does. Matter of fact, talk, tell me a little bit about living well and what it, how it helps uh, uh, local churches and, uh, and church leaders. Living well professional counseling is the, uh, the counseling division of what we do. Okay. Uh, I actually came to this agency 10 years ago as a counselor, uh, came through uh, New Orleans Seminary. And uh, one of the main reasons why I came is because I'd recognize a need for churches to be able to offer counseling resources uh, that's what we did, although we did it on a much smaller scale back then. And so we launched Living Well Counseling in December of 19. 
Uh, we had four counselors still, just like we did when I came, uh, but we launched it with a growth perspective of being able to take counseling to more places around the state and make it a resource for churches. Gotcha. We had no idea what was coming right around the, the corner with COVID in, in March yeah. of, of the next year. Uh, initially, our thought was this was a terrible time to launch this kind of a ministry. It's not going to take off. And then we realized, no, this is the exact reason why we launched when yeah. we did. We just didn't understand it. And so, it, man, in three years, that thing has grown from four counselors to over 40 counselors. We are uh, 20 locations around the state and growing. So do you think that COVID kind of pushed it a little bit, kind of exploded what you guys were doing a little bit? So COVID definitely pushed it because, you know, when I think window of tolerance and uh, what COVID did, like if you think an emotional window of tolerance, just what we're, what we're able to accomplish in life, like everything got a little bit harder. Yeah. And if you can think like that window of what we're able to tolerate, it shrunk. And mm. so just normal operation for everybody became a lot more than what many of us could handle. And then when you add any kind of extra stressor, yeah. it really has complicated things. And so it's just made it... It's, it's made it more necessary for people to go and to be able to process what they're experiencing and, and really increase that window of tolerance. That's what I think counseling does today, more so even than what it had done three years ago. Do you see, I, I would talk to senior leaders a lot at churches, and uh, I remember we did a project where we were calling senior leaders, checking on them and the whole deal. This is one thing that got me, and this is one of, one of the reasons why you're here. Um, there are a lot of senior leaders that told me verbally, either on the phone or in my face, I'm out, I'm done. Now, we were doing this in the summer of 2020, and that number continued. I mean, if I talk to folks, they're walking away. And I know COVID did a lot of that, but what are you seeing as some of the major things that they're struggling with? Some of the senior leaders in, in church, senior pastors, executive guys, staff guys, what are they, what are they kind of struggling with uh, as you kind of come in contact with them? Well, the whole nature of, of leadership, or when you're talking particularly church leadership, we're talking shepherding. Yeah. And uh, the, whole, the whole nature of shepherding is that we're carrying the burdens of the sheep if we're doing our jobs. And so when you think about if, if you're shepherding a congregation of people who their window of tolerance is smaller, yeah. their stressors have increased, uh, it, it's only natural that as the shepherd of those sheep that you're going to experience the same thing. Yeah. Um, but the reality is that, that we're not caring for people who have challenges that we're exempt from. We're going through the same challenges with the same increased stressors, with the same decreased window of tolerance, and we're trying to put that aside and care mm -hmm. for others, which is great, but we can only do that for so long yeah. before it really just eradicates our window of tolerance and we start leaning on uh, you know, coping mechanisms that aren't healthy and that yeah. sort of thing. And yeah. so uh, to answer your question, I think two things. One is a, a loss of compassion or empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you mean we the leaders have a loss yeah, of if, if yeah. we start to notice as a leader that we're losing compassion or empathy, yeah. I think we need to see that as a as a warning sign. We have to step back. Yeah, uh, that really is a first indication that we've taken on too much. Yeah, because if if our if our window of tolerance shrinks and our our capacity for empathy and compassion shrinks, yeah. and once that happens. We're really no longer able to lead effectively until we pull back and do some self-care. Yeah. And, uh, and the other thing I think we have to watch out for is, you know, 
like so so say the reduced compassion and the increased coping mechanism so if we're looking for things to cope to numb out to escape uh, if we're if we're needing to engage in behaviors that aren't healthy in order to keep going yeah uh, so the increase of those and the decrease of compassion I'm seeing more um, but I I think we just have to be mindful in ourselves to watch out for those things before they become really unhealthy. So. Yeah. I know counseling used to be like a dirty word, especially in, you know, religious circles and pastors. No, I got it. I just read the Bible, pray, and everything is okay. I mean, is it a, it, what do you think other than, and I know it's a, it's a crazy question, but other than COVID, other than just the, like you said, that decreased piece, that, you know, uh, window closing, if you will, uh, what are some other things that you you think have um, uh, facilitated, pushed along the way to allow people to to be more open to counseling as a tool that's part of their toolbox? Because leaders have toolboxes. It's our education. It's our relationships. But do, first of all, do you think that counseling is a tool that senior leaders need to have in their toolbox? I think the recognition that our emotional lives uh, it can't just be absorbed into our spiritual growth is really wow. important. That's kind of heavy. That's and, deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but I think we've done that as Christian leaders. Like, we think if our spiritual lives can grow enough that our emotional lives just kind of fold right in with that, and, yeah. and they're going to, you know, our emotional struggles are going to disappear as our spiritual maturity increases. And I think we finally, as a, as a culture, come to a realization that uh, we can grow as much as possible spiritually, but we still have to deal with our emotional lives as, as some as a separate domain that also influences our spiritual domain. And yeah. so, uh, while those things are very integrated, our, our spiritual life impacts our emotional life. Our emotional life impacts our spiritual life. We have to deal with both independently as well. And so, I think, I think as pastors are realizing that they're recognizing that it changes the way we preach. It changes the yeah. way we. We connect with our congregations. Uh, it changes the way we are able to empathize with them. Yeah. Uh, we don't look down on others because they're having emotional struggles or mental struggles. Uh, and also, we start to recognize some of those things in ourselves. And, uh, and it's okay to deal with emotions from an emotional perspective. And uh, particularly when we look at even our emotional health as a resource for our leadership, yeah. That changes everything. And yeah. so now counseling becomes a tool to help us to grow uh, in our emotional strength that's going to help us uh, to connect with others and to lead well. You know, a lot of folks will say that, you know, that's for big church guys. They have all the pressures and all of that. You know, uh, mid-sized churches or smaller churches, as long as I just keep working, I'm okay. Is that a myth? Is that true? I mean, you know, is it just for big church guys, established churches that have major staff. So what about the small church guys? Well, let me say it like this. You know, I think, I think leading a growing organization is much harder than leading a big organization. Hmm. Okay. And, and any pastor should be leading a growing organization. And if yeah. you're not growing, you should be at that initial stage of growth, you know, of yeah. building for, planning for, preparing for. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're, intended to lead something that grows if we're not a part of a growing movement then there's also a concern with that that's going to relate back to our emotional health and yeah. so 
I, I don't think the size of the church matters in terms of that. I think we all have the pressure to grow if we're not growing. Yeah. And uh, if we are growing, then we have the stress of that growth. And so uh, I really think I think the pressure is there no matter what size church you're leading. Yeah. And so yeah. it's tough with uh, man. You know, as a as a guy that I'm a church planner. So as a church planter, man, I'm gonna tell you the stressors early on. And then it kind of levels out, and then stressors again kind of take off. And I found personally that counseling was a tool that, you know, as I was sending everybody else to counseling, I was like, listen, I kind of need that same thing myself because it's a roller coaster. It was, you know, you're right, those pressures to grow, uh, preparing to grow, making sure that everybody actually gets it. What are some, I'm ask you two more questions and then we'll, we'll go on. One is not a question that's on the list that I gave you, it's about burnout. I'm hearing a lot about burnout, like leader burnout. I mean, if you can kind of give me like the third grade definition of burnout, I mean, what is burnout? So the thing that surprises me most about burnout, you know, particularly in the helping professions, in, in pastoral ministry and counseling ministry, you know, everything that we do is designed to make a difference. Right. One of the hallmarks of burnout is the feeling that you're no longer making a difference. Wow. Okay. And so when you think about when you think about the reality that we can get to a place emotionally that we're no longer capable, like our brains are not capable of measuring the difference that we're making or, you know, having the hope that what we're doing, even if we don't see the difference today, that it's ultimately going to make a difference. Yeah. And so I think it's just the reality of, like, when you think about stress, let me define that, and I think that'll help with burnout. So the definition I like with stress is when your perceived demands outweigh your perceived resources. Okay. You're going to say that slow so, again. Um, when your perceived demand, perceived demands yes. outweigh your perceived resources. Right. Wow. It's like and when the infrastructure doesn't handle the weight that you're trying to carry. There, there's three aspects to it that I, I think are really important. One is perception. Two is the size of your demands, and three is the size of your resources. Wow, and, that's good. And so when we think about burnout, I think burnout is when we've we finally just kind of collapsed into an understanding that our demands outweigh our resources, and we feel a sense of helplessness about it. Yeah. You know, like our, our demands are too high and I can't do anything about it. And then we also feel the hopelessness. So there's yeah. a helplessness, and then there's a hopelessness, hopelessness of— right. What difference is it making anyway? Yeah, which then leads to those destructive behaviors. That's right. Which then leads, it's like a ripple effect that yeah. going through there. Do you think that, that senior leaders, church leaders are closer to burnout than they realize? I think that so. all brings you back to that window of tolerance. Yeah. You know, and so if we come back to a place and, and realize that, you know, we're reacting quicker uh, in, instead of responding with compassion, we're reacting with frustration. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think, you know, if you think about like Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood is such a yeah. good example yeah. uh, for us. Like if somebody comes to us with a need that we didn't anticipate and it's not in our agenda, how do we respond to it? Like, is it something that annoys us because it pulled us off course or is it something yeah. that we feel the, the capacity to respond with compassion for. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of us in leadership right now have lost some of that capacity to be able to respond to something that throws us off course yeah. with the compassion and with the grace and, and mercy and, and realizing that that's one of the best opportunities to reflect Christ. I think we've, 
you know, we lose some of that because we do have this pressure of what we're trying to accomplish. And that's just one more demand that gets added to our list of demands that we already feel like we can't fill with the resources that we have. Yeah. And Ooh. so, um, so yeah, I think we're feeling that, you yeah. know, I think the pressures are strong. Um, that's where perception of resources really starts to come into play. Yeah. And yeah. so, that's good. And, and so I, I'd say, you know, for us as Christian leaders, we've got to know our resources, you know, the, the resources of other brothers and sisters who can, can rally with us. And yeah. this idea of, uh, you know, a Galatians 6 idea of we can bear one another's burdens. Yeah, yeah. And when each of us carries our own load, we're actually stronger in doing so because we, we, we bear burdens together. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the idea that the Holy Spirit ultimately is a burden bearer for us. That's right, yeah. Uh, and, and to not, you know, it's interesting because we don't lean on the Holy Spirit enough. And at the same time, we try to use the Holy Spirit to, to just... Uh, wash away our uh, we try we try to use the Holy Spirit to just um, how do you say this like take away our emotional burdens so yeah. we so we say yeah. just pray and forget about it yeah yeah and and so we we try to just leave those emotional burdens behind that's not healthy instead though. of dealing with those things emotionally yeah because um, we treat the Holy Spirit sometimes like a genie. Yeah, that's in, right. Hey, I made a mess. Can you come and clean it up? And then we're good. And yeah. so learning how to effectively be dependent on the Holy Spirit is a challenge in and of itself. Wow. You know what? I want to. I want to uh, kind of end on this one. You talked about some practical things, but let's let's like encapsulate any practical things. I'm a leader, regardless of whether I have a large church, small church. I'm an executive pastor. I am a youth guy, which my heart goes. My heart automatically goes out to two leaders at a church other than a pastor, the youth guy, and the worship guy. I think that they don't get for me. I don't sing, but I like music, but I see worship guys get beat up a lot and nobody really talks about them. I mean, you know, they go off and do whatever. So what are some practical things that leaders can do to kind of check and make sure that as they, you know, shine the light of the gospel and they're doing whatever they need to do, that they're taking care of themselves? What are some practical things that they can do that you would suggest that, that to, to stay healthy emotionally and mentally? That's good. Let me say, let me start with this. Like you're, you're, your expectations need to be based on your resources, not your demands. I like that. I like that. That's we're good. we're never going to outperform our resources, no matter how many demands that we think that we have. We're not going to outperform our resources. Yeah. All we're going to do is stress ourselves out trying to meet demands that our resources aren't equipped to meet. That's heavy. That's good. That's good. And so I'd, I'd say let's start there of knowing what our resources are and, and truly capitalizing on our resources. And when we focus on our resources, we can actually increase our resources. When we focus on our demands, we really kind of increase our demands, right? Because yeah. we, we, we just add the mental burden, uh, which makes our demands even more difficult to meet. And yeah. so let's start with focusing on our resources and expanding those. That's good. Um, but, you know, our, our best resource is time and, and our second best resource is relationship. Wow, uh, and and maybe maybe I need to flip those. I don't know, but let's just say our two best resources are time and relationships. Gotcha. And yeah. uh, if we can lean on others, but also just make sure that with our time, we're doing the best that we can do with it. Yeah. Uh, and and so with that, I'd say um, 
you know, our priority, if our resources are such, then we need to make sure we're protecting our time or we need to make sure we're protecting our relationships. And uh, if, our, if our time reflects our priorities, then we're taking care of ourselves or taking care of our families first. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, this may take a, a minute to explain, but I think it's worth it. You know, I was, I was talking to a friend about a, uh, a personal family crisis that he was having, and he also had uh, a schedule that he needed to meet. And okay. so... Uh, Are I you talking him, about me? Because well, that sounds I, like me. All of us. All of us. I could have been talking to myself. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I said, tell tell the, the people you're supposed to be meeting with that something urgent came up and take your wife to dinner. I said, just don't go in the same town because <laughs> because they may show up and think that... Yeah, you're a liar. You're yeah. a liar. Yeah. But, yeah. but then really. how, how sad is that, that the urgent thing that happens couldn't be in our own family and that the solution couldn't be to... You know, to step back and to take her wife to dinner. Golly, you just convicted me right there. I, I, That's you heavy. know, isn't that, isn't that wild yeah. that protecting that relationship isn't even something that we in our culture can see as urgent? Wow, man. And so, if our resources are time yeah. and relationships, yeah, and if our family is our closest relationship, our first priority as ministers, then why is it that our time and a relationship priority can't reflect that. And so I think I think just being aware of, you know, setting our expectations based on those resources, be willing to prioritize that, even if our culture, you know, we give lip service to family as first, but we don't really mean it because yep. organization and structure and, and the machine, we really do prioritize and we say family can wait yeah. uh, with our actions. And so prioritize family, even if it goes against the grain. I think we have to do that. Um, you know, I, I heard the expression a lot, work hard, play hard. I don't know that I fully understood what that meant. And to be quite honest, I worked hard enough. I was tired. Yeah, uh, and yeah, so, too tired to play hard. You know, yeah. play hard just doesn't sound fun on a Saturday sometimes, <laughs> right. you know. Right. And so I, I, I learned to say balance, work, play, and rest. Okay. And, okay. And so – uh, sometimes you got to rest in between, but the work hard, play hard really is a good strategy. Yeah, you just have to understand that there may be a balance of rest that you need. If you if you're too tired to play, you're too tired. That's right. And Ooh so, wee. if you are too tired to play, you are too tired. Golly, yeah, yeah. I need to. How much do I owe you? Eighty dollars. I need to go ahead. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is a free counseling session, uh -huh. dude. This is that's major. So I'm a preacher, right? So we I do things in alliteration. So what you just laid out to me was a couple of practical steps: um, identify resources, prioritize relationships, and rest. I, those are my three R's that I got from you. Did I kind of sum some of that? Up? I like it, man. man I didn't I plan that, but that worked <laughs> out well. So. I don't know. You laid that out because that was that was just kind of major. So, Derek, you said something about New Orleans. You you from New Orleans or? So I'm a South Carolina boy. South Carolina. Uh, okay. Yeah, moved to New Orleans in 2004. Uh, my idea was to be there three years and head back to the Carolinas, and so. Uh, Katrina came in 05 and really kind of changed our trajectory there. Yep. And uh, all of a sudden it wasn't what can I get from this city, it was what can I do to serve this city. Yeah. And so we ended up spending eight years there and, and uh, you know, oh, wow. in, in a lot of ways New Orleans is home. Um, South Carolina still ultimately has that, that, that place in my heart for what home is. But, 
you know, home is Arkansas for my kids and, and for my family. This is this is where we've made life happen. So we're That's happy cool. to be here. Cool. Derek, thank you so much for being here. Dr. Derek Brown have earned PhD. Am I right? Earned? I would say, you know, 14 years of education, I'm going to say I earned it, but you don't have to call me that. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, I'm a slow learner, but yeah. I did get there. You're so. still making payments on it, too, though, <laughs> yeah, aren't you? you? bet you. You bet I am. <laughs> That's right. Most of us are. Derek, uh, thank you so much, uh, man, for joining us today and you, uh, laying out those tips. So any of the, the notes that uh, high points that we talked about in the podcast today, we're going to try to put those in the show notes. Derek, we got to have you back at another time, but thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Neil, and I really appreciate it. Enjoyed being with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Prison. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. If you did, or even if you didn't, be sure to follow, like, and subscribe so you'll never miss one episode 